Welcome to the All Around Joe podcast, where we optimize your human performance from my personal experience as an athlete, coach, and all-around self-improvement junkie. On this edition of the All Around Joe podcast, I am talking with the Blonix founder and CEO, Rowan Minion. And you guys have probably heard me talk to Rowan in the past all about supplementation and Blonix and all kinds of other cool stuff, including snowboarding and mountain biking, and we just like to have fun chatting with each other. On this podcast, though, we are going to deep dive into something that Roan is an expert at that you may not have known. He is a sleep expert and has actually done a lot of research on sleep while getting his PhD. So we're going to deep dive in. We're going to talk about how you can improve your sleep. We're going to talk about what he thinks is the most important and or number one thing that you need to really be focusing on, and then a couple of other little things along the way as well. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and don't forget to check out Blonix, which is Rowan's company, and if you would like to get a little discount, use the code ALLAROUNDJOE to get yourself 10% off any of the Blonix products at blonyx.com, because I love Blonix as well, and take them, I've been taking them for years. So anyway, there you have it, enjoy the podcast, and I will see you on the flip side. Rowan, welcome back on the podcast. Thank you. Great to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you. I know that we had you just recently on the show and we didn't get to talk about sleep at all, which is something that we had wanted to talk about. So thank you so much for your time to come back on and geek out with me again. No problem at all. We were just having too much fun last time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So if anybody wants to reference that podcast that we did with Rowan, you can do so at allaroundjoe.com slash 241. But really quickly, Rowan, would you mind giving us a brief background? Um, And then if people want to go deep dive into everything, they can go back to 241. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm my tra- I'm, a, I'm the CEO of a company called Blonix uh, Biosciences. We're a sports nutrition brand. Uh, but my background is uh, as a research scientist. So I used to be an exercise physiologist working with athletes on various sides of performance. Um, I progressed from there to start working in the area of sports nutrition specifically. And then I kind of pivoted from there and then ended up as a sleep researcher. In, uh, in London, I, was, I actually started uh, my work on a PhD in, in uh, sleep medicine. Uh, this is a, quite a long time ago, but I ran sleep labs there in London. And uh, we didn't fo- I've, I've read a lot about sleep and performance and, and understand a lot about sleep and the medical side of it. It's a, a big, fun part of my life kind of thing. But uh, I've since then moved on to uh, get into the business side of uh, sports nutrition and start Blonix as a, a company but still very much fond of my uh, history in sleep and my understanding on it. And, and I'm here to geek out on that. <laughs> cool. So let's start with why sleep? Why did you do the, the PhD in, with a focus in sleep in the first place? So I, I actually kind of fell into it. I, uh, I was based out at Iowa State University in the States. Uh, I was playing soccer there for Iowa State and also as a, a research scientist on the, the research park there. And uh, my visa ran out. I was there for two years and uh, my visa came to an end. So I moved back to the UK, to London, and I needed a job. And uh, I saw a job posting as a a physiologist in a a sleep lab and basically took the job. Uh, I was meant to be just running the sleep labs there. And and I got in there very quickly. They they saw my 
uh, research background. I, I had commercial research uh, history and they, they figured out I could run studies for them. And so I was moved into that role and, and we managed to raise some money to start my PhD. And I kind of fell into it, but it's something that is, I tell you what I loved about it, uh, what, what attracted me to it was the fact that it's an area, a frontier of science that is still, there's still so much unknown. We know so little about sleep, which is crazy when you think that we do it for, you know, six to eight hours a, a night, most of us. Again, but we really do know so little about it. So as soon as I got into the research role in the PhD, straight away I was on the forefront of science and discovering stuff that no one had before. So that's, that was, for me, was the real love of it, uh, jumping into that. That's so cool. Just so that we can kind of unpackage this a little bit more, as you understand it or however you explain it, what is sleep exactly? <laughs> so... That's the big question. I think that's ultimately <laughs> what every sleep uh, research lab is trying to figure out. What, like, what is sleep? Why, why do we sleep? Uh, there's, there's kind of two sides of research on there. I kind of summarize it. Uh, firstly is a physical thing. So it's about the physical um, uh, rest that your body needs. We're quite active as species go. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot in general, move around, less so nowadays because of um, you know, the, the inventions that we've got, like cars and things like that. But we traditionally are quite active as, as human beings. We need to eat quite a lot uh, compared to a lot, of, um, a lot of animals and mammals that are out there. And so the idea is that we sleep to regenerate uh, our tissues. You know, there's, uh, for example, we release about 50% of our growth hormone uh, in the first uh, first two or three hours of sleep, when we hit deep sleep, there and it is the hormone that uh, regenerates your, you know, causes recovery effectively from any exercise or any physical damage that you've you've done uh, throughout the day. So there's real good evidence that it's physically a regenerative process. And then there's also the uh, the psychological side of it and memory. This is this is kind of very well known, or it's a theory still. We don't know it, but it's uh, the 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 psychological or the memory side of it is that when you do go to sleep, your brain starts to process all the information that it's taken in throughout the day and start to decide things like, what should I commit to long-term memory and what, what, time, what should I commit to short-term memory you know, through the night? So rapid eye movement sleep, the, the kind of dream state that we go in, is it's crazy what happens to your body and your brain through that period. And they still think it's to do with some sort of organization in the brain like shutting down a computer kind of thing overnight. Kind of yeah. And just so that we can continue to go down this road, what are the, and maybe there's way more to this than, than we want to get into, but what are the different stages of sleep or at least the ones that people are focusing on? Mm -hmm. So uh, there's, there's, there's five stages of sleep, uh, basic level. There's stage one through to four. And then there's another stage called REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And they're, they're all quite different, um, or kind of different. Stage one and two, and then three and four are quite similar to each other, though, if that makes sense. So yeah. stage one and two is like a light sleep. Um, it's when you, you know, when you start drifting off to sleep, sometimes we jolt, uh, jolt awake, you know, when you're just about to go to sleep. That's, that's waking up for stage one or, or two sleep. Uh, we can very easily be woken up at that time. Uh, we can, weirdly enough, we can have, like, slightly uh we could actually have dreams in that time it's it's not the same as rapid eye moon sleep it's much more realistic dreams it's almost like a 
um, a daydreaming that we can have. So as we drift off to sleep, we can have this weird daydreaming about the day or something like that. So that happens there. Um, and in that period, your brain starts to shut down that the waves of your brain waves are very quick through the day when you're awake and they start to slow down a little bit here and there. And that's how, you know, someone's drifting off to sleep into that stage one two sleep there. Then there's stage three and four and what we call alpha wave sleep and stage three and four are uh, basically your entire brain uh, brain the wave of uh, uh, your brain waves basically start to really slow down they become these huge waves really slow down like that and your whole body shuts down uh, very deep sleep it's like an inactivity that's the real shutdown stuff uh, that's when you release that that growth hormone uh, lots of hormonal changes happen in your body it's the regenerative one that's the sleep stage three and four deep sleep is the one that you need it's really important if you don't get it your your life will be hell um so that's that's the, in my opinion the most important side of sleep then there's the really weird one the really weird one is REM sleep which is uh it's really hard to, to see it when you see it it's it's amazing what happens to the body the first thing that happens is that the entire body goes into paralysis. So uh, one of the ways that you measure it is by putting two electrodes underneath someone's chin. Uh, and the reason is, is because underneath the chin, that kind of soft, um, uh, fleshy bit that you got underneath your, your uh, chin bone, uh, is that's always a little bit active. And so if you put two electrodes on, the only time that muscle really shuts off is when you're in this rapid eye movement sleep. So you'll suddenly see the uh, the the kind of signal from that muscle drop out, and that's one <laughs> of the ways that we know that someone is, has gone into REM sleep. So your body completely goes into paralysis, and you do not move at all. It's almost like your brain shuts off all signal to your body. And then the second thing is that your brain wakes up, and it wakes up to a brain wave that is about the same as when you are awake. So your brain turns on. And your eyes, the reason it's called rapid eye movement sleep, your eyes start to flitter from side to side, like you're reading something really quickly like okay. that. Um, and so we measure, the way we measured it in the sleep labs is you put uh, electrodes on the face, either side of the eye and then under the chin. And you suddenly see these flits in the eye and then you see the nothing coming from the chin like that. And uh, you drop into it usually late on. It's the second half of the night. Um, and it's when dreams come from. So if you wake someone up, in the, in the middle of that rapid eye movement sleep, they can generally quite recall their, uh, their, you know, their dreams pretty well in, in that time. But it happens the second half of the night. And I know that if I press the snooze button uh, when I'm waking up, if I ever do that, that I kind of have these really weird dreams at that time. And it's probably because I'm going back into REM sleep when I, when I snooze. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, that's the five stages there. They're, they're, they're all quite bizarre when you see them. They're, they're, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting. And I, I want to ask you, what was the focus for your study mm -hmm. or your sleep uh, education and PhD? So uh, we, we did a few things. Um, the main one, my primary one, was looking at a condition called central sleep apnea. So sleep apnea is, a, is I think it's one of, probably one of the most undiagnosed conditions in in North America uh, as a sleep condition. And it's where your airway um, shuts down, basically shuts uh, when you fall asleep. So you get into that deep sleep I was talking about, your airway shuts down and suddenly you can't breathe properly and you have to wake up 
to then open your airway again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's sleep apnea, and that's a lot of a lot of North American people have it. It's associated with um, uh, generally uh, being unhealthy uh, and overweight, which increases the weight around your your neck. But sometimes people who do not fit that mold get it too. Uh, and a lot of people who do, uh, who are quite fit and especially bodybuilders can get it too because they have a lot of muscle weight around their neck. So that's a form of sleep apnea that a lot of people have heard, heard about. But there's another form called central sleep apnea. And this is, it's pretty horrific. It's when the brain actually tells you to stop breathing when you fall asleep. And huh. Yeah, it's, it is horrific. It's, um, we're having a lot more people survive heart attacks or have heart failure um, because we medicine is a lot better at keeping people alive now but we find that about 50 percent of people who do who have survived a heart attack or have heart failure they have they develop this central sleep apnea so their brain is effectively telling them to stop breathing as soon as they fall asleep now wow you can imagine that what that would be like living that hell, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, these guys not being able to sleep at night and they never, they don't have um, any form of good sleep. They have to sleep uh, upright and even that doesn't alleviate it. It's a horrific, horrific condition. And most of the people that have it, uh, or about 50% of the people who have it will be dead within a year. They'll start to, the blood pressure will go up and they'll have a heart attack or a stroke within a, within a year. So, wow. it's, yeah, so my, my, my work was basically how can we treat that? Okay. And uh, working with a company that created a ventilator, uh, so quite similar to the ones that we're seeing uh, now with the the coronavirus, COVID. Uh, those ventilators, we developed a form of ventilator like that. That um, as soon as these guys stop breathing and their brain told them to stop breathing, the ventilator would take take over and stop breathing for them. And that and that's, that was our work to to kind of develop that and test it and um, uh, analyze the results from that. If we could keep these guys alive, basically. Interesting. So the first thing that comes to mind when you mention that is if you are changing the position or if you could change the position of your sleep, would that change the ability to get sleep apnea? Uh, if it's the, if it's the, um, the usual form of sleep apnea, um, yeah. then, then it, it can do. Yeah. People find that if they sleep upright, they sit, sit up in bed. Uh, it's a proper lot of uh, pillows behind you. You can actually alleviate it that way. Uh, but the most common way is through what they call a CPAP machine. It's, it's, if you can imagine this, it sounds horrific. It's not actually that bad. But it's like, <laughs> it's like turning a vacuum cleaner uh, and putting it in reverse so it bl- blows air and then forcing that onto your face with a mask. That's effectively <laughs> what this thing is, a treatment for, uh, for a sleep apnea. They're a lot smaller, compact, and they don't, they don't sound like a vacuum cleaner anymore, but they basically blow air into your airways and it keeps them open. It's kind of like blowing into a balloon. It keeps the airway pressure up. To keep it okay. Open. Gotcha. And how have you been able to take this uh, knowledge on sleep and use it for improving performance, recovery, all of this stuff that we're mm. like super into these days? So I think that came like, that kind of comes around just understanding sleep in general. Mm-hmm. studying so many people with sleep and with sleep problems, um, you know, just kind of, kind of nerding out on it and understanding it. Uh, and that's kind of where it comes from. So in understanding sleep architecture and, and the improvement and how important it is to have the deep sleep and then looking at things like uh, hormone changes over that time, uh, the physiological regeneration over that time, that started to get me, because I was an athlete at the time, started to get me thinking much more about my sleep 
and the importance of it and what I can do to improve my personal sleep. And that's why I started to just, you know, it's almost like you know too much and therefore <laughs> you start applying it, you know, to, to every, your personal life kind of thing. Yep. And that's yeah. basically what happened there. Awesome. So when you first start working with people and people have a lot of questions and issues with their sleep, obviously, where do you start when you bring this into the equation? Are you tracking? Are you answering questions? Are you um, giving people more knowledge? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Like, like uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think the very first thing, so if I was working with somebody on their sleep and, and saying, how can you use sleep? to uh, improve performance or if you've got issues sleeping because ultimately mm -hmm. the answer to the the question how do you use sleep to improve your performance is make sure you get enough sleep and it's high quality sleep sure. those two those two things will improve your performance that's it um that there is we could we can talk about it later but there's definitely uh an interesting uh, discussion to have about elite performance and guys who are at the elite level and we we'll talk about that after but in general if someone says, hey, my performance, I never get enough sleep and my performance is, in is impacted. I'm, I'm always tired and I don't, I'm, it makes it hard to motivate myself to, to train or I'm not getting enough out of it. Then the first thing I would do, the absolute first thing, is to make sure they don't have any issues where they sleep they don't know about. The biggest issue with sleep is that if you have a sleep issue, you don't know about it. Right. You know, if you, and even, even if you have a bed partner, um, the chances of them being awake and listening to you throughout the night is uh, breathing or having any issues is difficult too. So that's why I think it goes undiagnosed if people have a sleep issue. So the first thing I do is ask questions about in general, like do they, do they wake up suddenly throughout their sleep breathless? You know, do they kind of suddenly and they're breathing heavy and that, which can be an indicator. They do have a slight, slight sleep apnea or something like that. So the first thing is to just eliminate the medical side of it. So assuming that that's okay and there's no issues medically um, from just talking with them, the second one is about um, what they call sleep hygiene. And sleep hygiene is a general term. And all it means is um, how you approach sleep. Uh, for example, um, do, do you go to bed at the same time or wake up at the same time every, every day? Or at weekends, do you tend to go to bed later? which causes you to have a little, like almost like jet lag when it comes mm -hmm. to Monday morning, that kind of thing. And that's what, so that kind of thing. It's also, you know, are you blacking out your, your blinds and keeping the room relatively cool, relatively dark? Uh, is there a lot of noise that could wake you up? Um, do you have a comfortable enough bed? Um, there's even some feng shui kind of aspects to it. And, yeah. and people say, you know, you should have your, your bed in a certain location in your bedroom, things like that. It's, it's quite an art form and there are a lot of sleep, doctors out there who that's the first thing they work on and is just changing people's environment that they sleep in and the other one is um as part of that is the routine that people have around their sleep a big a big issue nowadays and a bit hot topic is about screen use going to to sleep um and and, and it affecting the eye the, the light hitting your eyes which is interestingly the way that you regulate your sleep is the light hitting your eyes so that could be an impact so, so the next one is to look at that and create some form of routine around their sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest one for me, the absolute biggest one along those lines is going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time every night. And it okay. doesn't matter what you're doing, do it every single night, including weekends. Bring that discipline into your life to do that. 
and you will find that you fall asleep quicker, you wake up uh, feeling refreshed, you very rarely need your alarm clock, and you don't get, the big one is you don't get that um, after lunch dip, you know, that a lot of people can get after eating yep. there. Yep. Uh, you get that, and then you'll find your energy levels through the day will be, will be steady there. Very interesting stuff. How much sleep do you think people need? The answer to that isn't straightforward. So on average, let's talk about on average. Sure. I think people should get between seven and eight hours sleep a night on average. Okay. Uh, if you go for start at seven and a half hours, so if you're going to go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, start with seven and a half hours, see how you do. If you do not feel rested after that time, increase it to eight. If you feel like you're waking up too early or and then reduce it, but it's a very individual thing. Um, I need about seven and a half hours of sleep a night. My wife needs about six (laughs) and that's, that's standard. Like she will, she does really well with not much sleep and to the point where she, she sleeps the same, same uh, time as I do that night length that I do, then she will actually not feel great the next day. And I think it's just her, her body clock is shorter than, uh, than mine like that. So kind of figure it out yourself, but in general between seven and eight. Super interesting. How, and then how can you improve the quality of the sleep or what are the first things that you're having people do in order to improve the quality of sleep and then actually know that they are improving the quality of the sleep? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's, let's talk about the routine going into, into uh, sleep. That's, a, that's actually, no, let's, let's go a step further back. Let's talk about what you do during the day uh, okay. in, in yeah. the morning and through the day. So the very first thing that you can do to ensure you sleep well at night is to get good light hitting your retina, so hitting your eye, <laughs> because that, will, that resets our body clock every single day. So get outside, get some fresh air, get, you know, you're in the morning, the sun is shining today, get out there, get that sunlight hitting your, your eyes uh, as early as you can in the morning. Uh, it works really well if you're, if you're uh, changing time zone. Get up in the morning at that wherever you are and get outside. So that's the first one is spend as much time as you can outside um, looking at the, the sunlight through the normal day. Uh, the second one is having a routine at night when you go into to bed. Um, get in something that is um, less taxing on your brain or, or less taxing uh, on your on your, I think it's more your emotional system, your, your hormone system. So your adrenal system, um, especially because adrenaline and uh, one of the stress hormones, cortisol is what keeps you up. So cortisol, the stress hormone is the biggest thing that wakes you up. It wakes you up in the morning. You get a massive dose of it in the morning with coffee. As soon as you drink a cup of coffee, it gives you a big boost of cortisol at night. You should be doing everything to bring that level down. If you are watching a movie, let's say a uh, horror movie, that gets your adrenaline right up again and your cortisol level right up. So do not watch horror <laughs> movies late at night. Don't do anything. A, a TV in general can get our emotions moving a lot, a lot more um, and get your, you know, you kind of heightened in that respect. So try not to watch TV late into the evening. Give yourself an hour or so before you buffer before you go to bed and do something that's um, slower for your mind as you go to bed. So reading is fantastic. Uh, It doesn't matter what you read, um, anything you read, uh, read it in the evening before you go to bed, have a lower light level around you and read before you go to bed. It really works well to start shutting the brain down and getting you down uh, like that. 
have discussions with your partner, you know, like one to one and just having a, a general discussion about your day or something like that. Something that's simply more relaxing and chill you out brings down that cortisol level, which will help you go to sleep there. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I've, I've read some stuff about the first thing that you talked about with getting the sunlight in the morning. <clears throat> and I'm guessing that there are people that need a little bit of clarification on this and that will wake up in the morning, they open up their blinds and they're like, oh, the sun's coming through the window. This is great. I'm getting mm-hmm. this done. Does that work or do you actually have to go outside? It can. I, I think you're always going to be better being outside. Uh, the, the, the light difference between inside and outside is almost always a massive difference. We don't see it as much of a difference because our eyes adjust to it. Mm-hmm. So when you're indoors, your, your uh, pupils will dilate and you'll let a hell of a lot more light in. And then when you're outside, um, you know, they, they, they um, do the opposite. They close kind of thing. So uh, you'll notice in the summer, you know, when we've been outside for a long time and we go indoors, it's almost like you can't see, see much. Yep. Uh, and that's exactly it. So, so there's that extreme there. So, uh, I, yeah, I would say get outside simply because the light is always so much more. Even if it's a really overcast, cloudy day, getting outside will give you far more light than being inside. Okay. And then when you're closing your day down and you're reading something, do you have to do it? and I'm guessing I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you because you're the expert. Do you have to do it on a non-screen device? Yeah, I, I would suggest it. I think um, the, the Kindles are excellent nowadays with the, um, uh, the, the virtual paper that they have, and that will be fine. It, that doesn't okay. really admit, uh, uh, um, the, the Kindle I have, I have an old school Kindle. So I actually need a light to read it. <laughs> oh. uh, but I know the new ones aren't so bad either, and it's not that much light. But I think... The majority of phone screens are the worst, uh, and phone screens, laptop screens, anything like that. Uh, even with the uh, the filters that take out the blue light, mm-hmm. I don't think that makes much of much of a difference. I I don't know the research on that. But the the initial research, and when when I worked in the sleep lab, they were starting to come out with those filters, and the general consensus amongst us scientists were, were that it's not much. It's kind of encouraging people to actually go back to their screens at night where we should tell them zero is better than using a filter. Okay. And does that include like the blue light blocking glasses? Yeah, I think, I, I think so. Again, I don't really know the research on them, but in general, um, you know, the, the, the fact that blue light is what changes everything is actually, I think it's a bit of a, a generalization. Uh, okay. I want to see the research. I, I'm not up to date on it as a disclaimer. So I want to make claims on it. But in general, we, the way we saw it is you should generally be getting less light. And okay. a general, you should be in a darker situation like we would be uh, if it wasn't for artificial light. Okay. Is, uh, is that why people will say try and have red light at night? Is it because it's darker? Is there a different wavelength? Do you know? Yes. So the red light one was an interesting one. And I think it's, I definitely think it's, uh, there's something in that. When you use red light, it's, it creates good contrast between um, between blacks and other colors, basically. So, you know, red uh, red light and is often used in night vision type scenarios. You have a red light up, and it helps see see a lot more, but at a much le- lower level light in general. So, if you have to go any light, then uh, red light would definitely be a, a better option. Cool. How do you recommend that people are keeping track of 
improvement or just like their sleep status in general? Are you using any apps? Do you recommend journaling? Is there any kind of technology? Um, yeah, I think the sleep apps out there and things like Fitbit and things like that are actually quite good. So they use what they call, um, they tend to use uh, a form of actigraphy, which is you're basically monitoring uh, movement levels at night. And when you, when you are having a good night's sleep, it's an obvious thing, really, you, you're actually a lot less active through night. So even though it's, it's a quite um, a primitive form of measurement uh, for using things like that, these, these technologies, I think it's worth it. Uh, you know, it's, if you are less active through the night and you're, you're not moving that Fitbit or something, uh, Apple Watch or whatever around so much, it is a good indicator that you've had a, a, a better night's sleep. But there is that understanding it's still it still is a, a primitive method. You know, it's a general, a general method on that. I think journaling, uh, even the simpler thing, simplest thing of just in the, in the morning, write up, write a score of how you feel. Do you feel rested? Do you feel um, awake? And do you, you know, do you feel tired or whatever? And just put a score in, in there out of 10 and do that on a, on a general basis. Like, did you have to wake up with your alarm clock or not? So there's some simple questions you can ask yourselves. And I think a lot of these sleep, measurement apps do a pretty good job of, of at least having some of that information in there that's definitely worth doing but i um i being honest i find that as soon as you start going to sleep and waking up at the same time every day doing that you'll notice the difference in in general <laughs> you know it's got yeah it's quite the stark difference if you if you don't normally do that how does exercise affect this great question now the fun stuff um <laughs> So the first one is it's kind of got a yin and yang side of it, uh, uh, exercise, because exercise can, in general, give you a much better sleep architecture. It's, it's almost like your body knows, if, especially if you've been training hard, that your body needs to recover more. So you'll have deeper sleep. You'll go into deeper sleep a lot quicker and you'll stay there for a lot longer and you'll release more growth hormone, which is the hormone that causes your protein production to increase and get into that recovery stage. So that's, that's well documented in the research there. However, if you are, when you research, uh, sorry, when you uh, exercise, the research shows that you increase the amount of uh, the stress hormone cortisol in your body uh, intermittently. So you, your adrenaline goes up, your cortisol levels go up, especially if you overtrain, if you over, um, if you overexercise, if you really push yourself, uh, it's almost like the body has a little bit of a, a shock to it and it kind of releases all these stress hormones um, to get your performance up. If you do that too close to go going to sleep, you're going to have a harder time falling asleep. So that's how it can impact it there. So general recommendation is if you're going to really go hell for leather on your training, and you want to make sure you optimize your sleep. Don't train too late in the day. Train okay. in the morning, afternoon. If you want to see your sleep improve, um, stay out of that kind of overreaching, really pushing yourself zone. You know, stay under it. Um, keep your body in good in good shape, um, and just don't do that overtraining so much. Keep your volume relatively low. Yeah, interesting. I've got a, a quick question for you around this. So, last week. I personally had a couple of days where I really crushed it, you know, really pushed hard, knew that when I was in the middle of the workout, I was pushing and cranking to 10. And I actually didn't have any sleep issues until a few days later. 
So, and I rarely have sleep issues, but I just couldn't fall asleep. And it felt like it, you know, if I were to measure my cortisol levels, I would have assumed that that was what was going on is that they're raised. Have you noticed, or is there any kind of correlation that you've heard of that could have happened like days after like that? Yeah, uh, that might be, it depends. I mean, there's so many can, can kind of compounding, um, uh, factors in there that we're not controlling like uh your coffee intake over that time might be uh might be different um it could be to do with you know anything stressful that's going on in your mind or anything like that there's there's a lot to it than that but let's say in general what could cause that um if in general you're overtraining uh it can suppress uh some hormones it can uh it can just generally disturb your sleep um, overall. So you might have done that exercise. Your body is like on, I need an emergency sleep, uh, for the first one or two nights. And then it goes back to this whole, like my body is still in overtraining mode. I've still Mm -hmm. got a lot of damage here. I haven't recovered fully from that, that, you know, that few, that kind of hard hitting exercise there. Um, and and that's when your sleep is disrupted like that. Cause sometimes if you exercise really heavily to the point where your body is in, um, uh, competition here's an example competition is a great one if you do a, a, say a crossfit competition or something like that or you're um uh, a marathon runner or a big t- big one is triathletes uh mm-hmm. iron man triathletes after they've done a triathlon or a crossfit competition or something like that uh your body is so beat that you will pass out almost you know and you'll pass out that night and then the next day you will feel groggy as hell and then you'll have sleep issues after that okay yep. Um, so, you know, it's almost like your body needs an emergency, uh, pass out sleep. And then after that, you're dealing with, uh, uh, what you would normally have. Yeah, that's, that's cre- really interesting. Cause having done a couple of Ironman triathlons, it took me like, I want to say three to five days afterwards before I could get a good night's sleep. Right. Yeah. Wrecks your body. You're in yeah. your whole body is in this state of, I, you know. We, I need rest and I need, uh, it's also, it's all over the place. You, it's crazy what happens to your body after you really push it to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about, uh, food and supplementation as it relates to sleep. Is there any kind of correlation that you think is interesting in that realm? Um, caffeine is the big one, okay. uh, in terms of impacting stuff. There, there are other things. So, um, ZMA, um, is one that there's not really much research at all on it. A lot of people report that they sleep better when they have um, uh, ZMA supplement supplements. There's a tiny bit of research on it, but it's there's a lot of research that show it doesn't do anything as well. Okay. So I'm very skeptical of that. And I mean, sleep is a, again, it's a really difficult thing to study because to you need to control everything that someone's doing in their life. How do you control somebody who's that little bit more stressed in their personal life than someone who isn't? You know, things like that. It's really difficult to do. So ZMA is one. Um, and then the other one is melatonin. Mm-hmm. Uh, melatonin. People think that melatonin is the big sleep hormone. And it is in general physiological terms. So you, you fall asleep when your melatonin levels go up high. Um, and it stays high throughout the night. And then it dips uh, in the morning and cortisol level shoots up in its place and that's what wakes you up. Um, but I personally think cortisol levels are, are actually ha- have more impact on your sleep at night, uh, than melatonin. And also if you take melatonin supplements, there's 
very little evidence that they, it's interesting because there's not, not really much evidence to show that they work. I think it's more a placebo effect uh, than, huh. than this. Uh, yeah, I know. And, it, and they sell a hell of a lot on that basis. This is, <laughs> in general, with supplements, this is the deal. There's, there's usually not crazy amount of research, but people make claims and marketing is very powerful. Um, so my, the jury is out for me on melatonin. Um, mm-hmm. And another one is CBD. CBD yep. is something that's getting a lot of hot topic. I do not buy any of the research personally just yet on, on CBD or, or any of the claims. I want to see the research. It yeah. hasn't been studied enough for anybody to make any conclusions about what CBD does. There's potential, but it, the research isn't there yet. And personally, I err on the side of caution, especially when you hear something like CBD to claim to do everything. You know, it makes you train better, recover better, sleep better, and are better in bed. I'm not sure what else is going to come out in terms of <laughs> CBD. You know? So when you see something like that, you can like, it's got to be too good to be true. Uh, I want to wait and see what uh, what comes out. So, the, but the big one. Let's come back to caffeine. Those mm-hmm. supplements aside, there's, the research is still not there. Please, anyone who's listening to this, I want to say, go and do your research. Jump on um, PubMed database, which is the government-run research database, and look for melatonin, ZMA, and sleep performance. And read studies. Don't just read one. Read a few of them. Get your own general consensus on that. They're not that difficult to read go straight to the bottom of the study and see the conclusion, see what they're saying. Um, caffeine, though. Caffeine, I think, is the bane of all sleep. And it's primarily because I personally suffer from sleep loss if I drink caffeine. I don't drink it anymore um, and try and avoid it. But it is something that I've wrestled with with my sleep. And the reason is, is uh, caffeine, uh, caffeine leads to a jump in cortisol, which can last for a good amount of time. So it can last in some people, it can last up to like 10 hours sort of thing. So even if you're drinking caffeine and coffee only in the morning, if you're drinking a, you know, a quadruple shot, a Starbucks, um, you have a lot of caffeine in your system and that's going to mess with your system and get your cortisol levels through the roof. And you're going to have a hard time getting them down, um, to have a, a decent night's sleep. It's going to cause you to sleep lighter and, mm-hmm. and you'll miss out on all of that good stuff like the growth hormone and the deep wave, uh, the deep sleep stage three and four sleep at night. So that, that's one thing that is it's definitely going to impact your sleep, caffeine. People have different levels of sensitivity to it, but uh, for me personally, it's, it's a big one. So I would avoid caffeine. If, you, if you're having sleep issues, the first thing I would do is cut out coffee from your, from your, um, you know, from your diet and especially in the morning, just forget it. Don't just try and go cold Turkey for a few weeks, deal with the headache and see what happens. <laughs> Man, you may have just lost a lot of fans, right? I now. think so. I think so. But it's worth trying. <laughs> when you come out, when you come out the other end of it, like I have, it's mm-hmm. amazing. It's like the energy level, um, uh, is, is amazing, but it does take that discipline the the big thing about coffee as well that I think I miss so much is the ritual. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry to everyone out there who's listening, <laughs> who's now looking at me and saying, okay, I'm about to tune out. I think that's what's going to happen there. No, I think that, I think it's great advice. And I think, you know, uh, like you said, everybody's, is so different too. And it's worth it to, in my opinion, like test these things on yourself. So, mm-hmm. you know, take, how long would you say that someone should take or try going cold turkey to get a good assessment of if they can 
number one, function without caffeine or if like, I guess that's not the right, to see what their sensitivity is and if they mm-hmm. can live the life without it and, you know, supplement a different ritual perhaps. Like what's that time frame that you think? Is it a month? Is it two weeks? Is it three months? Is it six months um, to start seeing if they sleep better? I think it's around the two week mark. It might be longer for some people. When I did it, I, was, I wasn't drinking that much coffee. I was drinking one to three cups of coffee a day and not crazy strong either. I'm really sensitive to caffeine, so I don't mm-hmm. need that much. And I know people drink an absolute ton of the stuff until they go to sleep. Um, it took me about a week and a half, two weeks to get over the headache stage and withdrawal symptoms like that. And it was after that, that I, st- I started to, uh, really notice the difference. And that's me. I think it probably between two weeks and a month, you've got to get over that headachey stage, I think, uh, and that dependency to be, you know, really over it and, and see that difference. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. And I, and I would, I've gone through a stage before where I've not had any caffeine for a year and a half. So Ooh. I've, I would totally agree with you and saying that, you know, it's definitely worth doing that. And if nothing else, then to like figure out what your sensitivity levels are. Cause I feel like so many people are numb to it and we just mm-hmm. keep having more and more and more and more. It's like, yeah, cool. One, one shot of caffeine was fine at first but then you wanted more. Now you're doing, like you said, the, the quadruple, quadruple shot mm-hmm. and you know, you're doing it in the morning, afternoon, and then you're wondering why you're not sleeping well, or you don't even realize it. You just feel like you have no energy all the time, you know, mm-hmm. except for right after that quadruple, quadruple shot. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so yeah. It's, how was well, your you, experience when you, when you, when you did decide to come off it, what was your experience? It, I, I had, I was going through a whole like adrenal fatigue thing where my body was shutting mm-hmm. down and actually wasn't producing cortisol anymore, which is, or very low levels, which is kind of mm-hmm. no, fu- no fun. Um, so that was the reason why I stopped having the caffeine and I didn't notice too much of it in, except that I, after about a year and a half decided that in low doses, I was more creative mentally when I had it mm-hmm. and doing a lot of writing and, um, a lot of writing and creative thinking, it it did make me feel better when I was doing that. So I do low levels of caffeine and know that I just need to be very sensitive to it, um, like you're saying. And if I notice that I'm having any sleep issues, then I will back off of it. And mm-hmm. unlike, well, I guess it depends on who we're talking to here, but like I track my sleep, you know, every single night and I do the sleep journaling and I'm keeping track of like, I have a, you know, can look at a spreadsheet and see the amount of hours of sleep that I've gotten in the last year, right? Mm-hmm. Every single day. Wow. So I'm very sensitive to those metrics and um, trying to keep track of it, which I think makes it a little bit easier to control the caffeine consumption and know when it's affecting me. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I decided at one point as a personal um, decision that I, I liked it better when I had my cup of coffee in the morning. Oh, I was yeah. just, you know, my, my creative juices, like it was, it was a decision of I'm enjoying my life better when I have a caffeine high and I'm writing. Mm-hmm. versus not having a caffeine high 
and you know trying to like do meditation or like some sort of like brainwave stimulation to get that same feeling mm-hmm. so i mean everybody has their own their own choices and and i don't know that's where i ended up leaving off with it and you can judge me if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm judging right now. <laughs> hey, you know, you, you have that option or you can do a Joe Rogan and start microdosing on acid or something like that to get that creativity. You know, everyone to themselves, they can do, do their own thing. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I'm actually, I'm reading this, this book by Dave Asprey right now. It's the Bulletproof, the Bulletproof right. guy. Yeah. Um, I think it's called Superhuman. And he's, man, that guy has some really interesting stuff in there. He's done all kinds of interesting hacks to decrease or slow down aging and things like this Mm -hmm. and increase mental capacity. And whew, that's a. That's a whole other level right there. Totally. Yeah, he's an interesting character. I think that they're based near you, aren't they? Down in, they're, they're in Washington, I think, Bulletproof. He grew up, didn't he grow up there? Is it? I, I'm not even sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah interesting character. That whole like uh, life hacking that he yeah. brought in is quite interesting. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, I want to ask you because I tend to tell people or give people advice on how to set up their room environment in order to sleep better. And one of the major things that I've had improvement on or, or seen improvement with is the whole blackout curtains and all Mm -hmm. like making things as dark and quiet and like you said cold as possible Mm -hmm. do you have any um advice on how to do that easily for people because i know that as soon as i mention it i'm like i get this roll of their eyes like i'm not gonna go buy blackout curtains or you know how have you dealt with that um i think the i i I order things on in terms of um, what's going to have an, an impact. So mm-hmm. the very first thing, like I, I said earlier, is is the whole going to bed and waking up at the same time. I would do it one at a time. So I would do that first. Okay. And the second thing is the room temperature. I would take oh. the room temperature down a little bit, as okay. I think is quite an important one. Your body naturally fluctuates in temperature um, overnight and, and during the day. So you're warmer uh, in the daytime and your body temperature tends to be quite cool in the morning too um but in general it's lower at night so let your body temperature drop a little bit at night uh, this is what it's it's used to i think being too warm uh at, at night you see people um be a, a lot more um uh, active you know moving around because then they're uncomfortable because they're sweating basically um so i think that's that's the second one the the thing complete blackout versus just being dark in your room i don't think there's much much of a difference if it's the case of full-on open windows and and no curtains versus um you know versus like curtains and things like that that's that's going to make the biggest difference there um and it, but the routine going to bed as well as is a as a most is an imp- more important than those things too so, so i would say the order is your sleep time sleep and wake time uh, then it would go um uh, what did I say? Body temperature. That's uh, so the temperature of the room being the next one. Is that what I said? Mm-hmm. I, well, I actually think that the one before that, so sleep and wake time, then I would go routine going to bed. So making sure you're not getting that, that uh, screen time, lower level lights, not watching TV, that kind of thing. Then it's messing around with the, the architecture of your room. You know, do you have uh, uh, the blackout blinds, the temperature, the mattress, um, you know, the, how um, firm, 
soft your mattress is. That's fine tuning for me. But I suggest doing it one at a time so that you know the things that really impact you. Okay, cool. And how about uh, sleep time is based off of like the time that the sun goes down versus sun going up or coming up? Yeah, um, that's... I don't buy that. I, I think that you think of human beings, we should be, we should be equatorial. We should be living around the equator uh, for temperature reasons. You know, we, um, well, here, uh, here in, in BC, it's even though it's considered in, in uh, Pacific Northwest where you and I are based right now, mm-hmm. the, the temperature here is known to be pretty mild, but it still drops below freezing in the winter and with, without shelter and uh, um, clothing, we didn't have those we would have a hard time so generally i think the human population would actually meet be living more much more around the equator where there's much more even uh, night and day cycles um so you know you think if if midwinter um especially here in in uh, canada if we are going on daylight cycles we'd be sleeping for what 12 13 <laughs> 13 hours a night, (laughs) which is unrealistic. And you're not going to do that. Your body isn't going to let you do it. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night kind of thing. So I think if, if I would say yes to people who are, uh, who are more equatorial, um, but people who live up in the, you know, where, where we do in um, latitudes, is it? And yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's plausible. Good to know. I, there's there's so much information out here on this subject that I love talking about it and, and hearing from people like mm-hmm. you that have studied it and are really big on the science side of it. So I appreciate you just, you know, entertaining my my questions right now. <laughs> yeah, it's no, good good well, stuff. Coming. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, like do you have any resources that you recommend for things that you are follow regularly to get sleep information or journals or uh, blogs or anything like that you know i uh, in terms of that stuff i i don't I've, i'm out i've been out of the game for a little while on on sleep medicine really um but in general as i mentioned before the the pubmed uh, database which is uh government run is fantastic to if you really want to check something because there's so much sleep is big business sleep yeah. is huge business and there's a lot of companies trying to cash in on improving sleep changing sleep and people are always, it's because it's such a personal thing. You know, people are vulnerable when they, they have a sleep issue. It can impact your day, your, your quality of life. So people are quite vulnerable. And if, if someone comes out with a, a supplement or a device or something that helps them sleep, they, you know, they'll market to people and, and try and make money without really knowing it does anything. So to cut through all of that, your best bet is, uh, one of the best bets you have is to go um, to the PubMed database and just see what research is is there and read it. And it's, you know, it looks, sometimes it can be quite technical and it can be a w- wading through treacle to to read some of this stuff, but it's worth it, you know, try and get to grips with it. Um, you know, you can even sometimes uh, message the, there's email addresses to message the scientists and say, what do you mean, <laughs> you know, on this? Oh. Uh, yeah, you can actually, you can do that. A lot of them will respond to you. So, I would say that uh, PubMed database, look, look for it on Google and check out the, the things like ZMA and melatonin and see what the research actually shows on these products and, and devices and things like that before actually using them. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you know anything about uh, meditation or any type of brainwave stimulation that would help or that you know of that actually does help with sleep? I don't. 
unfortunately i yeah that's something i haven't really looked into i i'm much more focused on the physiological side of of sleep and the psychological side i i don't really know that much about that being said i'm willing to bet this is just thinking about it meditation is a way of relaxing and Mm -hmm. relaxation is about reducing our stress levels and cortisol levels um you know if you that's the most relaxed we feel is is in that you know low stress environment um so i would say that would improve your level of sleep simply by reducing the cortisol load that you have cool makes sense definitely makes sense awesome well rowan i've had as usual fun talking (laughs) with you um geeking out on subjects that we are both passionate about so i really appreciate that um where can people find out more about you, more about Blonix, since we didn't really talk about that at all today, um, and just in general, follow your journey? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I, my company website is www.blonix.com, which is B-L-O-N-Y-X. Uh, anyone who wants to reach out to me or connect with me, you can do so via LinkedIn is probably the best. And if you look, uh, look up my name, Rowan Minion, last name is M-I-N-N-I-O-N, and you'll find me. I'll be the only one. <laughs> cool. Well, I will have all of these links in the show notes at allaroundjoe.com slash 245. And yeah, again, Rowan, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And for all those people listening, uh, if you haven't now understood why I'm such a big fan of Blonix and Rowan in general... Um, you're losing your mind because this guy is the real deal and obviously backs everything by research. And I think that's freaking fantastic in this world where we tend to just believe what's on the media. It's, it's, it's really refreshing to talk with you, Rowan, and I, I super appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, we will talk to you soon. Take care. Hey guys, that was my podcast with Rowan Minion, the CEO and founder of Blonix, B-L-O-N-Y-X, the supplement or lifestyle nutrition company. I hope you enjoyed that. Sleep is pretty much about the number one thing that I can think of when people ask me how to recover faster. It just makes you so much more in tuned. It helps you to recover. It helps you to think better. And a lot of times people will just focus simply on the fact that, oh, I'm getting enough sleep, but they don't focus on the quality of sleep that they're getting, which is also just as important. So if you guys have any questions, please reach out to Rowan or myself, and we'd be happy to answer any of those questions for you. You can get to the show notes by going to allaroundjoe.com slash 245. That's allaroundjoe.com slash 245. And lastly, I highly recommend that you check out Blonix and their supplements. I've been using their HMB plus creatine. I've been using their beta alanine and I've been using their egg white protein powder um, for quite a while now. And you can get a discount on those supplements by using the code allaroundjoe at checkout. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I will see you on the next one. The All Around Joe podcast, where we optimize your human performance from my personal experience as an athlete, coach, and all-around self-improvement junkie. I will see you on the next podcast.